0: Life good. Never on! Whoa. Hard. Hardly. Yes. Come on,
1: Brent. Life good.
0: Got real close. Got hair high, right? Try and hit two thirds. No. Have they saved no. it for no. her? No. Yes,
1: they have. Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham with Scott alongside. As always, hi Scott. Sean, hi. How you been? It's been a while. I know. Uh, we've been off for a couple of weeks. We, we wanted to record before this, but we just couldn't make the logistics work. I was in Europe for a week, and then you were off in the Midwest, and then I joined you in the Midwest, and we were traveling around. We couldn't just figure out a way to work out the timing of this, so we're, we apologize for the delay. But we are now back, and we are going to be through the summer with you on a weekly basis through the summer and the rest of... Uh, Well, there's one event left in the season, and then we're weekly through the summer.
0: Yeah, we'll be uh, busy doing some pods. It was a good
1: break, but I'm ready to get back to curling. All right, so basically what we're going to do today is try to recap what we've missed uh, through the course of the last couple weeks. So the last episode we did, of course, was the World Men's Preview, uh, and that event, of course, is now over. And uh, you have some very exciting news In the way you finished your prediction season.
0: Yeah, Sean. I mean, I know it started out a little bit uh, tough when it came to predictions for me. I was not, uh, you know, really on top of things. But I'll have you know that practice eventually made perfect. And I nailed all six of my playoff teams plus all three of my medal winners in the right order. And, uh, you know... No big deal.
1: Yeah. So, of course, Sweden wins. They beat Team Canada, Brad Gushu, uh, and then you also had Scotland, Norway, Korea, the Americans in the playoffs with the Scottish uh, team winning the bronze medal, and you were correct. Yeah. How about that? So, well done all the way through. Uh, I was wrong. I had Brad Gushu winning the gold medal game over Nick Eden and then the Norwegians finishing third. But that event, let, let's talk about it a little bit. Uh, the event itself, Gushu finished third in the round robin. That Bruce Mowat team had a really good week uh, getting out of their buy spot. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, what What are your main takeaways from the week? I'd say uh, the main
0: takeaways were that uh, Canada and Sweden showed why they were the class of that field. But like you say, the Scottish team and Bruce Mowat they really came to play, and I think this is sort of the start of a new chapter for Scottish men's curling as we close the door uh, on those older teams,
1: uh, and David, David Murdoch David and uh, Tom so Brewster. They're, it seems like it's a change of the guard.
0: Uh, it seems like there's a passing of the torch, a uh, changing of the guard, same thing. And th- there was a lot of good young teams that came up. The Korean team was uh, a real pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm the The rest of the field, sort of, like we expected, wasn't up to the level of Canada and Sweden. But uh, you saw glimpses uh, from all of the teams that made the playoffs. So uh, I I view it as a year of transition, yeah, absolutely, and uh, a way to look forward uh, on the world curling circuit.
1: Yeah, the other thing that's interesting about the Scotland situation, of course, is you have Kyle Smith and his team. And for as good as Bruce Moe it is, you have this other team. Mm -hmm. And yes, it probably wasn't fair the way they decided who was going to the World Championships, given that Kyle Smith and his team had just gotten back from the Olympic Games, and like four days later, whatever it was, they had to do this playoff, Mm -hmm. uh, which is also probably why Eve Muirhead didn't represent Scotland. Similar situation there. But it'll be interesting to see (laughs) what happens over the summer and whether or not these two teams stay uh, on their own track, and if they do, how cool that would be as a rivalry, which we thought we had for a while between Dave Murdoch and Tom Brewster, mm-hmm. uh, and then, of course, the this, this situation there has changed, but it'd be interesting to see the, the, the dynamic now, what happens, uh, almost like a, a Swiss women's situation, where you have multiple teams that are world-class teams, world championship-caliber teams, uh, maybe those two teams aren't quite yet world championship-caliber, but really excellent players who, who can play at this level and what happens internally for that country because we're not used yeah. to other countries having a dilemma uh, over who they send to a world championship.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It'll be really, really cool to see uh, what, what happens going forward for Scotland and, uh, and some of the other countries. You know, like we, sa- we saw a lot of countries send their second, third, fourth teams to this event, so yeah, it'll be cool, cool to see what happens. Uh, and um, I'm uh, optimistic about curling.
1: All right, well, one other thing that I think stood out for me from the week, I think Brad Gushu uh, was tired, um, and and there were a few moments where he was rather frustrated with himself, with the team, I think that was just a product of an extraordinarily long year, uh, and maybe not getting all the results they wanted through the course of the week. The the game against the Americans that they lost, I know afterwards he, not, not sort of a, apologized but said that his frustration got the best of him and and recognized that that was not the best look for him uh, or for Mm -hmm. the team and that might have hurt their play so all that considered that you know he was in the playoffs at the trials he was in the final of the mixed trials and then wins the briar and goes and, and gets a silver medal at the world championship that is an incredibly long season Mm-hmm. and uh, good for them uh again the season started in august and we're now here in april uh, and they're still playing yeah so
0: yeah it's been it's been a real long 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 season for them and on the flip side it's also been a very long season for uh, nicholas adine and his Swedish squad yes so a lot of kudos go to them for pulling off the victory you know they had that entire schedule the way that the Canadian team did, but also including
1: the Olympics in the middle, and yeah, but they didn't have the trials in the same way. So I mean, you get you can go, you can play the cash spiel circuit <clears> in the fall, yeah, and then they could take a couple months off before gearing up again. Uh, you saw them while knowing at, that they were going, knowing to. yeah, you, we saw them at the Continental Cup, which is sort of a, a thing, tune up for them. Then they uh-huh. had the event the week after, so they not quite as long maybe as as the Gushu rank that because uh, right we saw Nikodin at the trials. Uh, he sat two rows behind us for the women's final. Or, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, so we we saw him there. So he was there, but he wasn't playing, right? So it's a uh, he certainly had that advantage in terms of the schedule. Yeah, an absolutely uh, incredible, incredibly long schedule for them. Mm. And Swedish curling, uh, what a, what a season! Uh, for sure, for sure. For, like two two silver <laughs> medals, two gold medals. So they have the reigning Olympic Women's Champion, reigning Men's World Championship, and then those two teams won silver in the opposite events. And that's Swedish curling somehow isn't ranked first in the world, I think. I don't really understand how that is, but they had a phenomenal season. Absolutely, absolutely. They're uh, two teams to watch, but
0: did I hear something? Uh, from someone about their funding being cut? Yes,
1: so Devin Haro, who has just, for as long as the season's been for the players, uh, poor Devin, uh, has been all over the world uh, doing his coverage for the CBC. He wrote a story during the Men's World Championship that the Swedish Olympic Committee has cut Nicodine's funding for next season. Now, this was not necessarily a surprise. Uh, Apparently, the Swedish Olympic Committee has cut funding for the summer programs they did that a couple of years ago or for a lot of summer programs and now after this olympics they're starting to cut back on some of the the windsor programs as well and nick and team is one that has been cut so there is some doubt for them if they'll be able to play as much as they have in the past uh, or if maybe it's really sort of in flux as to what they do sure. they're according to the story they're playing the last two events on tour, so the one that just ended this past weekend, and the uh, next one, the Champions Cup, they're using their winnings from (coughs) last season, the bonus they got at the end, uh, $75,000 to help float them, and then they're gonna have to see what happens through the summer, and they're gonna have to get more sponsors, I I guess, or, or seek additional revenues, because they, you know, we've talked about the amount of time they spend on the road, that costs a lot of money, right? yeah. I mean, they, they probably spend the most, I would assume, than anyone on tour, with maybe the exception of Brad Gushu, but mm-hmm. they, it's just so expensive for them to do what they do, that without the, that Olympic funding, they're, they're in trouble. Because, you know, it's not like some of the other guys who can have jobs, even as flexible as the hours are, who can help sustain themselves on a personal level, right? right. If the curling revenue, the sponsorships, and the winnings pay for the curling, and you break even on the curling, then great. It's sort of supporting yourself <laughs> as just a human being. And when you're in Canada for as long as they are, and I, I have no idea what their visa situation is, if they'd even be allowed to get seasonal jobs here through the winter. If how that the logistics of that seems so mm-hmm. incredible that they, I can't imagine it's it's really all that possible. So they need that funding to support themselves personally. They have to live. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. without that funding, they're they're in trouble and even telecommuting on
0: a five to nine hour time difference Mm. that you would have uh between here and and uh then yeah it's not even that's not even really a, a viable option but we'll have to see what happens you know uh like you say it's all in flux right now nobody really knows what uh what's gonna transpire but here's hoping that we can continue to see them on tour uh as much as we have in the past because you know, not only do they win the gold medal here, they turn around uh, from Vegas, go to Toronto, and finish second at the uh, the Grand Slam event this past Yeah,
1: event. so the, the cool deal with that, of course, is what was it, five days, six days after they played the World Championship gold medal game? Brad Gushu and Nicodine play in the semifinal of the yeah. Players' Championship in Toronto, which was kind of fun. And of course, Nicodine wins again. <laughs> uh, over Brad Gushu, but it, it's one of these things, again, it speaks to how much curling there is, that World Championship, five days later, you're playing in the semi-final yeah. of the Players Championship, and uh, and then they go on to lose to uh, Kevin Cooey.
0: Yeah, Kevin Cooey's team, uh, you know, uh, coming t- together for a couple last uh, spiels, managed to uh, pull out the victory, so...
1: Yeah, and on the other side, maybe a bit of an upset, Jamie Sinclair beats yeah. Jennifer Jones.
0: Continuing her uh, pretty strong season, you know, after the fourth-place finish at the World Championships. Comes out and, uh, and yeah, puts up a victory, her first uh, Grand Slam victory. So I'm looking forward to some more things from this team.
1: Yeah, it's a big win for them, obviously. Uh, maybe a little disappointing for Jen Jones. They talked about how great it was to have Jill Officer's last major event be that world championship mm-hmm. and a win, and then they lose a final. I know it's <laughs> not nearly on the same level, but uh, maybe a little disappointing for them. They still have the Champions Cup, of course, though. Yes. And uh, and the thing, though, about Jamie Sinclair, and everyone said, I've seen a few people say that she's had a great season. And yes, I mean, she, she made the playoffs at the world championship, despite the fact that you and I don't like that six teams made the playoffs, and we saw that in the men's too, uh, with the American team making the playoffs with six wins. That we did, we don't really like that, but and then winning this event. But I mean, she did lose the the Olympic trials; is, you know, she didn't win that. So I I, I wonder. if well,
0: she lost them on the like last rock. No, but like, I, I just no,
1: playoff. but I wonder if, if sort of this external. Praise that I think is deserved because yeah. she's had a great end of the season. If she would say that her season's been a success, like if in September you said, What is your goal for the season? I don't think playoffs at the World Championships and the Players' Championship would have been the main goal. That's all I'm saying. Okay, sure. Maybe her goal was making the Olympics, but you know, in the
0: context of reevaluating your goals after every event, uh, then I, th- I think it's
1: been... Yeah, it's been a very strong finish to this season. A good building. Uh, yeah, building. absolutely. And this probably is the team to look forward with in American American women's curling, I would think. But we'll see what happens with uh, with the other teams uh, in the United States and mm-hmm. how that all plays out. So what we've seen then over the past few weeks, I think, is, again, the, the idea of a change of the guard in addition to you know, Scotland, the United States, uh, wherever, you know, Switzerland is in some flux as well yeah. with uh, the new team there with Alina Pats moving on. And all these young teams that we saw at the Men's and Women's World Championships, it's, it's an interesting time in Curling, and we'll see what happens over the rest of the summer and how these teams can come together, and next year is going to look so different. From what we've seen mm-hmm. the past two years, that that it's going to be hard to keep up.
0: Yeah, it'll be it'll be really, really fun. I think it'll be a really fun year to try and you know we've got a bunch of announcements about what the different teams are going to look like, but now we're going to actually start getting to see them in in practice come the fall, you know, um, and it'll be cool to see the different dynamics in play. How they work and how they evolve over the next four years. You know, it's not going to be the same way it is next September at the first cash spiel uh, as it will be, you know, three years from now at the at the next trials. So right. it'll be cool to see all the different dynamics at play. I'm I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, and I think we saw that really well with Kevin Cooley's team, the this yes. team that went to the Olympics, In right? This past cycle. Yeah. yeah Started out Kennedy was going to play second. And Lang was going to play third, and and they struggled that first struggled. I mean, they still won (coughs) three-quarters of their games. Uh, But for them, they they struggled, and they made the switch, and then they had to just work out the kinks and and build to the point where they they were able to win the trials. And I'm sure we're going to see more shifting next summer. I don't think it's going to be as crazy as it's been this year, but I would be surprised if we don't have more roster changes after next season because... You figure out not only who works well together, but also who doesn't mm-hmm. work well together, exactly. and uh, and then it'll be interesting to see with people like Mark Kennedy, Jill Officer. None of them have said that they're retiring, so it'll be interesting to see in a couple of years if they decide to come back.
0: Yeah, exactly. Sounds like you need to uh, <laughs> Jeez, take a yeah, sip of water there. I got a little frog in your throat, but. Uh,
1: yeah, no, no
0: doubt. I mean, uh, there's nothing off the table as far as these players are concerned. And next year is one of those years where, you know, it's not as important to be around. So it's a good year to take a step back and uh, drink. And uh, <laughs> you know, drink every time uh, you hear someone yeah. ta- say, take a step, step back. back yeah. So uh, it'll be good to uh, to see it. And, and we'll, of course, break down those team changes uh, on a future episode once we've got our time to really sink our teeth in but there was one announcement that we did want to talk about
1: yeah so this is this week It's local to us of course we are members of the Ottawa Curling Club and uh, team Holman announced that they will play together for next year that I think that's as far as the announcement went they didn't commit to the full four year cycle uh, at least in the interview that I saw with Lisa Weagle and I think I was, thought it was interesting too that in the TSN story about it the only person they quoted was Lisa Weagle Uh, nobody else. I mean, certainly that's availability and and everything else, but they announced that they will be playing together again. I think one of the reasons perhaps that they they can't commit to the four-year, if they didn't, in fact, if I'm right on that story, the residency rule is going to come into play for this team at some point with Rachel Homan living in Alberta and Joanne Courtney living in Alberta. Uh, This is going to come into effect. The reason it doesn't matter right now is that Rachel Holman is a student. She's enlisted at the University of Alberta. So there is an exception to the residency rule for full-time students. So that's why the residency rule doesn't apply right now. Well, it applies, but they've been able to work around that because Rachel is enlisted at the University of Alberta. Once she graduates, though, then there's an issue with what happens and how they work around the residency. Mm -hmm. They could decide, if they were so inclined, to just forego the Scotties every year and just play as a cash team and build to the Olympics again. That's a possibility. No no one says you have to play in your provincial playdowns. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with them because eventually something is going to have to give on this team. And whether it's Rachel and or Joanne moving back to Ottawa, or it's one of Emma Miskew or Lisa Weigel moving to Alberta. Uh, and then you have the one import the other way. Uh, who knows? But but this is something to keep an eye out for this team. Yeah,
0: exactly. It, it It's interesting to, uh, to think about this residency requirement and how the teams that have been announced are going to work it if people are moving for the whole year that they're moving for six months in a day mm. uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how everything shakes out and whether or not the that curling canada decides that keeping the residency rule is is important uh as far as the national championships go i kind of think it's important i think it it's a good way to a good way to keep Local representation in these national championships, but this is a bigger, uh, bigger discussion that we could have, and uh, and so as far as Team Homan goes, I'm I'm happy that they're coming back together, and I did I did hear that next season that because Team Homan wasn't able to go back as Team Canada this year and defend at the Scotties, mm-hmm. that next year instead of having the wild card team, Team Homan will get an automatic berth in the scotties as will jennifer jones team
1: right and we should note too that they did make a rule exception for jennifer jones to be able to come back as team canada because you have to have three members of the team that won Not
0: one that's right
1: and they'll only have two <laughs> members of the team that won the event uh with jennifer jones and don would mm-hmm. we'll be the only two who were there so because caitlin laws was at the olympic games and they brought in shannon berger and jill Officer, of course, is taking a step back yes. from the game. So they made the rule exception to allow Jennifer Jones to come back with only two members of the actual winning team, uh, which is obviously a smart decision and, and something that the rule didn't take into account, the mixed doubles Olympics. Of course, so, of course. Uh, so if you give that other spot to Rachel Holman, I mean, it doesn't really make much of a difference to me. I just know that there are about 20 teams in Ontario that'd be thrilled. They're really excited to sign up for the Scotties. We, yeah.
0: Now, I don't know if uh, if that's true or where I heard it uh, or anything, but maybe a fact checker out there could tweet at us. And yeah. uh,
1: but it's and a, I mean, it's a good idea. I think it's a reasonable thing to do uh, if that is indeed the de- the decision that's that's made. Because surely, to goodness, they would be. Probably in that wild card game if they didn't win Ontario anyway. Yeah. So you know why not just sort of clear it up then, and then you don't have the expense of flying in another team for one game and uh, and doing all that. Exactly. Um, now the one thing I, I also want to mention that we are Ottawa Curling Club members, and they are of course representing the Ottawa Curling Club. I have to say that the the response inside the Ottawa Curling Club they seem to be polarizing with the membership. Some people like them, some people really dislike them, and. It's one of these things that I was surprised about when I got into the, the club, just hearing some of the talk about the team, and the, people seem to be kind of gossipy about them, which is, is strange. Uh, why not just enjoy them? They're, they're arguably the best team in the world. I've called them the best team in the world all year. Yeah, I still think they are the best team in the world. Just embrace it, people. Yeah, yeah, um, and like, to be honest, this
0: team is a, a big reason why the ice at the Ottawa curling club is so good.
1: Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, you you play on some of the best club ice, yeah, in the country, if not the world, and the stones they, they got new stones. Um, the the club membership is full. Yeah,
0: like there's three like three four draws a day. Uh, like what else do you want? It's, people, it's a really great uh, really great club, and uh, I'm proud of them uh, representing the club. Yeah, the only that thing I that you need to know
1: to. if you come to play at the Ottawa Curling Club on sheet one. When you're facing the ice shed, it's the sheet on the left. Is that one or five? On the left, yeah, it's it's one. It's one. So on sheet one, if you're playing with the – I can't remember what color it is, but the stones have the team's name on them. That's right. So the one and two stones are Lisa Weagle. Those stones curl a lot more because they're the stones they practice with to try and simulate even more arena ice. That's the only thing you need to know if you're coming to play at the Ottawa Curling Club. That's really the only effect – that gives one team an advantage or a disadvantage. because uh, if you don't know that when you're playing those stones it could be problematic. Oh, but Sean, I,
0: you're going to give away all of our advantages for uh, the the parry spiel coming. Right, up. Yeah,
1: yeah, but uh, you know, in general, uh, I have sort of been surprised to the reaction of them because I think they're they're generally well thought of across the country, but I uh, and that just some of the people in the, within the club are annoyed for some reason. But anyway, let's not Bash on our fellow club members. No, no, uh, no.
0: I, I wanted to also just give credit to Greg Strong from the Canadian Press who published this uh, announcement in uh, the Vancouver Courier, and that was who a lot of people were tweeting.
1: Okay, were, were tweeting
0: his story about uh, the team staying together. So,
1: so the uh, another story that came up, and this is recent, and we'll go back. It's it's Devin, another Devin Huroe story, talking about our friend Jerry Gertz who created a Curling Zone, which we use for a lot of the stats and information that we use on this show, about the rise of analytics in curling, and some of the things that people have done for a long time that maybe not be accurate, and the one that he talks about in the article, and of course Cheryl Bernard talks about this all the time, is do you want to be down one with the hammer
0: mm-hmm.
1: or up one without the hammer? And conventional wisdom, and Cheryl Bernard says this all the time, is that you'd rather be one down with. But if you're one down with, you only win 40% of the time. So of course you want to be one up without. without. And Jerry, in the article, is quoted as saying one of the reasons that teams are somewhat resistant is because, one, you've sort of always done this. Two, in this case, it's hard to stand there on the backboards when the other team has the last (laughs) shot. Like you want to be in control, yeah. even if statistically it doesn't really work for you. And this is something that is going to come up more and more as we get more and more information about the sport. You know, this isn't even 10 years ago. To a certain extent, it was still, you know, during the fifth end break, you could have a drink and uh, and go hack a dart. Yeah, uh, that's not the sport anymore, right? So as it becomes professionalized, people like Jerry are tracking shot by shot what happens wanting to know where you can get your advantages. I think scouting is going to be more important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone jokes about Benny's intern. Uh, but that's going to start to be a thing for, for players that, you know, we, we see it all the time at the end of games where teams are saying, oh, do we want to make him hit or, or draw? Right. And it's usually based on in the moment. Yeah, it's and what's of, been going on that game. Which isn't irrelevant. Like, right. It, it matters. But if you know that you can force him and over the course of the season – uh, he or she is ten points less on an outturn draw versus an intern hit.
0: yeah, then then
1: you know. You've got
0: a decision uh, that's based in fact rather than anecdotal evidence.
1: Exactly. and and Anna Hasselberg uh, in this article is cited as one of the teams that really embraced this hmm. uh, and knowing themselves and knowing their opponents, uh, and she says in the article that she knew everything about the Korean team before that gold medal game. At the Olympics. Wow. She knew all four of the players, what their strengths were, what their weaknesses were, and tried to cater to that. And it'll be interesting to see what other things, what other statistical things that we come up with that show that old school truths maybe aren't actually that true.
0: Yeah, like a, like in baseball, you know, a scout saying, oh, I like the build of this pitcher. Right. Well, you know,
1: does he get people out? Right.
0: That's the question. And uh, I think comparing this to Moneyball is uh, pretty apt.
1: Yeah, so that's I think that's sort of the hook of the the article uh, at the start there, and and there because there have always been certain things. I mean, everyone talks about the even ends, right? You love even ends. Yeah, uh, you want the even ends. Always, always uh, want to score, in the score even in those even ends. Um, so you wonder about something like that, uh, how that'll play out, uh, whether or not maybe, maybe it will come down to you know, how aggressive you go for a steal, um, and you know if if stealing, yeah, it's sort of like the way rebounds. People have decided that in basketball, offensive rebounds aren't as important as we thought that they were. Uh, so maybe in curling, the steal becomes less important. Uh, and the force becomes the thing right. uh, to get the hammer back. And stealing, you don't go hard for steals. May, I, who knows what's going to happen? But I love that people like Jerry are out there doing this work to try to improve the sport. It's, it's great that the players are out there you know, in the gym throwing thousands of stones to execute. But to also get the, to improve the mental side of the game. Hmm. is is to me a really exciting possibility.
0: Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm I'm sort of browsing this uh just as you as you talk about it and I'm I'm pretty intrigued. I, I'm excited to go look at it.
1: Yeah, it was a really good article and and I don't know how much Devin's going to do <laughs> over the next week if he's going to go to the Humpty's Champions Cup or not, but he uh he certainly deserves a medal for everything he's done over the course of the the season.
0: Yeah, I'd like to give him a Give him a break, that's for sure, that's for sure. Yeah. And, uh,
1: well, I, I met him at the trials, uh, and then uh, again at the Continental Cup, sat with him for a couple games, and at that point he was still energetic. And his Twitter is still energetic. I wonder yeah. how energetic he is, though, uh, at this point of the season, and if walking into an arena is just the last thing you would possibly <laughs> want to do at this point.
0: Well, maybe,
1: maybe. There was a... Uh, there was a
0: couple other uh, little debates that I saw on Twitter that I wanted to get your take yeah, on. Yeah, let's do it. Um, one of the ones, somebody that uh, we follow, it might have been our friend Twine Time, and uh, thanks to uh, to Twine Time for those updates uh, on Twitter while I was traveling through the U.S. and couldn't watch the, uh, the men's worlds there, but uh, somebody put up a poll about whether you'd prefer eight ends or ten ends for national and world championships. Oh, yeah.
1: I saw the poll. Didn't vote or look at the results, though. I did see that someone had posted that poll. What would your guess be on the results? Uh, my guess would be that people would say eight. Eight. And that eight would get the most votes. Okay.
0: I, uh, I looked at it. I'm not exactly sure how long it had been up. Yeah. So forgive my... Uh, lack of
1: specificity yes
0: but the results were about fifty-one forty-nine in favor of eight ends wow which was a bit surprising to me
1: yeah me too I, I would have thought eight because people seem to like it more faster game whenever tsn has the choice they go to eight that's right uh as opposed to 10 so what's the argument for 10 it's a round number it's been that way for a few years now. Of course, it used to it used be, to be 12. twelve. Yeah, it so, used to be
0: twelve, and I've played in a couple of games where it was twelve ends at the Royal Montreal Curling Club, and whoof, that's a slog. That's too long. But but I I don't know ten ends. It gives you time to sort of get your feet under you. Maybe makes blanks a little more palatable uh, for ten with, for with ten ends. Yeah, with eight the argument would be hey you're not going to see as many blanks yeah i think that's the benefit of it uh but sometimes it's it's a way that for a team to bail out if they've gotten into trouble by getting a blank so the the blanks that are put
1: the rock in hit 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 yeah it's hit, the hit. burning of the ends that that i find annoying we don't like that no. but
0: in men's curling especially compared to women's curling there's uh, a tendency for a team to try and go for it and then knowing
1: that they can bail out if they need to and still get a blank. Right, which I don't like either. So maybe that much. I, I really don't. I don't like this Hulk smash <laughs> mentality of oh, the angle like they, they spend so much time. It's so weird to me that, that Russ Howard and, and Mike Harris spend so much time talking about the angles. You gotta get the angles right. And then somebody just whips it. There's yeah. a four second rock and all the stones are gonna go anyway. I don't care what the <laughs> angle is, they're all going to go. It doesn't really matter. That's the stuff that I find annoying, uh, and, and people can say, "Well, it was only a three to two game," but there were so many stones in play. Well, that's until you know the th- second's first or the second's third stone or second second stone or the third's first stone, mm-hmm. and then they all went away, and the skips had eat wide open hits, and right. then they roll out like that's not really all that exciting to me either. Which is why I think the idea of a blank f- and then the the mixed doubles roll if there's a blank, the hammer switches. Is super intriguing to me, hmm. and I'm very—I'd be very curious to, to, to maybe implement that, even in just in a Grand Slam. You know, if they're gonna do this stupid yeah. uh, skins play thing that is just god awful, take another try event something out and yeah. put that rule in at a Grand Slam. Yeah,
0: that's not a bad idea. Uh, see how it plays. I know they're gonna go to Five Rock rule next year, so yeah, Five Rock rule across everything, across everything. Yep. so we'll see how that plays out on a national and international stage
1: yeah i mean eventually we're just going to get an eight rock rule <laughs> or something like, because they're going to be everyone's going to be so good at hitting that's right yeah. that to get to have any sort of chance of rocks in play we're going to need an eight or a ten rock rule <laughs> <laughs> ten yeah. rock rule yeah uh, but so so yeah, I'm a little surprised that it was that as even as it was. yeah yeah um, I wanted to get your take because I, I
0: know you've been a proponent of the eight ends for a long time and, yeah. and for watching on TV, I get it
1: and in person too.
0: Yeah yeah <laughs> it can be a slog to sit through. It can be it can be yeah, that was a long week the uh, the trials yeah. for sure. but you know um, I, I'm in favor of the 10 right now. But you could talk me into the 8. I find that when I watch the 8 with the Grand Slams, it's I always think, oh, right, it's like almost over. Oh, jeez. <laughs> boy, they better... like. There's more of a chance to shake early.
1: In 10. In, in 8 end games, because if you get down, there's less time to come back. I mean, I guess. We, you, the situation is, I guess, the same. If you're down 5 with 2 ends left the game's over. Yeah, but then I got to watch eight ends of curling instead of six. Oh, okay. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> I got, I don't know. Uh, I know the advertisers probably like that. Uh, more chance to learn about pod shatter <laughs> um, and sclerotinia. Oh,
0: don't forget club root.
1: Really yeah, tough. club root's a real tough one. Um, I don't know what any of these things are, but I know <laughs> all of those words uh, because I've watched too much curling over the past eight months. So... So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see to see what they do, especially with young people, right? I mean, one of the th- reasons why mixed doubles is so popular, it moves fast, you mm-hmm. can get people into it. And mixed doubles is eight ends uh, all the time. At the Olympics, yeah. everything, it's eight ends. Yeah. So you do wonder about whether or not that's going to move forward and get some momentum as we try to appeal to younger players. Uh, and of course, none. No one at the club level plays ten ends, as far as I know. I've never been in a club that plays ten. No, you're right. Um, mercifully, because people can't even play eight uh, no. in a reasonable amount of time. In the the Royal Montreal Curling Club Men's Championship
0: game, A Flight <laughs> Championship, we we play ten ends. And I played in that game a few times and uh, never won. Damn, <laughs> like, the ten ends was too much for me. It I took, couldn't do I mean, it. It took three and a half hours. No, 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 Sean. I you know me. I play quick.
1: Yeah, but you're playing with the at the Montreal <laughs> like, like where the average age is about 418. Yeah, our
0: front end I think averaged uh, age of 73. But uh, they could really, uh, well, they could I guess really experience.
1: See. Once you're experienced, you you play. You just play. You yeah. <laughs> you just you know what to do. Yeah, because uh, yeah, that's what frustrates me is there's stuff between shots and just anyway. Uh, but I mean, if you want to make the game more accessible or or make it more relatable to the club players, eight ends. I think that's another benefit to, to that as well. So uh, I don't, as far as I know, there's not a move at the world curling level to switch it to eight. But, you know, at the end of an Olympic cycle, they're always looking for changes. And maybe that's a change they make.
0: Yeah, and to synchronize the, the way it is with the mixed doubles. Makes a lot of sense, as well as the, the wheelchair curling that we saw as yeah. eight ends. You know, sort of get everything in line. Yeah, just standardize
1: it all and, and make it easier. Uh, speaking of the mixed doubles, mixed world championships are kicking off this weekend in Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, in a town that uh, I cannot pronounce uh, at all. So I'm not even going to try at this one. Um, <laughs> but I saw a fun thing about the town. Um I can't see it anymore. But anyway, um, the Canadians, of course, Kirk Myers is there with uh, Laura, Laura Crocker, Crocker uh, after they won the mixed Canadian championships. Our friend Jason is there with Ling, who I know from the Rito Curling Club uh, a little bit. I don't know if you know her, uh, if you've ever met Ling Uh, But they're there representing Hong Kong as well. So Mm -hmm. uh, a nice connection there. We're rooting for them uh, as well. Uh, But what's cool about the mixed doubles is, of course, that it is so many more countries, countries we never see at other events, uh, who are there. I know in the past, Brazil has sent teams. uh, Israel has sent a team in the past. Qatar has sent a team in the past. So you get all these countries that we never see at other events. now, you know, in some cases, it's people who don't actually live in those countries. Uh, in the case of Hong Kong, of course, Lang lives here in Ottawa. She is from Hong Kong, though. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's the case for a lot of places. I know, I think it was the Australian team for a long time. had a, It was a Canadian uh, on that team as well. Uh, so, I mean... You know, it's, it's sort of this cool thing where, where all these countries can be represented in some cases people who live there in some cases people who are from there have citizenship, whatever it is who cares uh, We get all these different countries who are represented at a world event.
0: Yeah, it's great. I'm looking at the the groups here right now so there's eight, gr- eight teams per group and five groups which makes for 40 different teams. It's really great uh, getting representation from all over the world. There's teams here that I see a team from Israel. Uh, team from Guyana.
1: Guyana, nice. Yeah.
0: So uh, they must have beat somebody. Uh, not a
1: lot of Caribbean representatives to, usually to at get the, there uh, at the curling events. So uh, I don't even know if I know where
0: Guyana is. Uh, well, yeah.
1: Yeah. Is it? It's in it, South America. Yeah. Okay. Well, South it, of Barbados. Right. But it's it's an is it not an island? No. No. It's a, it's a mainland country. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was in Barbados, where I lived there for a year. Uh, one of the professors was from Guyana, Oh, ah, okay. which is why I thought it was an island um, in, ah. in the sea because pretty much everyone else I met was from an <laughs> island uh, in the Caribbean. Yeah, we've got uh, Kazakhstan, uh, Luxembourg, so lots of
0: representation that we don't usually get to see at a world championship level. And yeah, best of luck to everybody. We're not going to preview this because we don't know anything about it. <laughs> There's uh, so many.
1: There's so many players who we don't know that it would just be a disservice to them. The only the only thing to the players themselves, like to yes. the, like we wouldn't do credit, give enough credit to the the athletes themselves. Uh, the only thing that I'll say, of course, is having watched Kirk Myers and Laura Crocker, for two people who hadn't played together before, uh, really good communication yes. between the two of them yes. uh, that we saw during the Canadian Championships and. I think they would have to be considered a, a favorite or at least a, a team that you would think would make the playoffs and maybe a deep deep run. In the past, of this, the playoffs are a little different than what we see at other events, where I think in the past has been 16 teams make the playoffs uh, and you work your way down in just a bracket system, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's not quite the same as what we see at other events, so it's not unprecedented or, frankly, that difficult to conceive of the team that finishes first, Or a team that goes through their pool undefeated, losing in that round of sixteen or in the quarterfinals—it's happened before. Sure. Uh, And mixed doubles is so crazy, so many points that Mm -hmm. uh, it's—it's sort of always fun to see what happens in those events. So it's—you know—if the Canadian team wins, that wouldn't necessarily be a surprise based on how well they played and and how well the team dynamic was last month. But if they don't win, that won't be surprising either, frankly.
0: Yeah, no, it's, uh, like you say, it's kind of anyone's game once you get into that playoff round, and it is the same format where the top 16 teams will be uh, making the playoffs and then advancing through uh, in a ladder style. So, yeah, it'll be uh, really fun to watch. Uh, I'm hoping that it'll be on TV somewhere, Uh, maybe on (laughs) CBC.
1: I'm sure we can get a stream somewhere.
0: Yeah, on on uh, the YouTube channel on World Curling TV has been uh, really good for watching non Canadian uh, yeah. games at the World Championships. So
1: yeah, looking forward to uh, checking some of that out. Absolutely. So the best of luck to all the teams there. Uh, the town is being built as a town that knows how to take care of curlers. That's what I saw. Hey, That's hey, what I right saw on. earlier, and it's considered the heart of Sweden. So do, there, you, do you have a pronunciation for no, it? Or no, I'm not going to. I'm not even going to try. I feel as though I've mispronounced a bunch of uh, stuff already this season, so <laughs> we're going <laughs> to call it quits on that. So, uh, so that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. We're going to talk about the mixed doubles a little bit because they'll be in full swing when we come back next week. We'll also look at the final event of the season. Finally, we've made it to the, the end of the season. The Humpty's Champion Cup, which is an event that I actually like because of the different teams that get invited to that. We get to see a bunch mm-hmm. of teams that we don't normally see on tour. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're uh, going to see... Champions uh,
0: we're gonna see Tyler Tardy, the World yep. Junior Champion. Uh, we're gonna see team uh, Karst- with Karsten Sturmay on it. Uh, so it's gonna be, yeah, some different teams. Should be fun.
1: Yeah, it'll be a, a good time uh, at that event the, to wrap up the season. Uh, and then after that, like we said, next starting next week and uh, through the rest of the summer, we're gonna go weekly. Uh, we got some fun stuff planned for the summer. Um, Different ideas that we have percolated as to keep curling coverage going throughout what is now a very short curling Curling off season. Curling off season, for sure. Uh, But we'll be back next week in the ear's room. If you have not subscribed yet, please do subscribe to the show. iTunes, Google Play, wherever it is you get your podcast. You can email the show, Game of Stones podcast at gmail.com. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Lakes TV. I I'm at Dr. Shawnee Fever. And until we talk to you again, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that insert.
0: Make the final.